0: Welcome to The Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill.
1: Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people.
0: Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Sounds of the World podcast. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest on our show. Um, She is... Uh, all about teaching voice, and so um, we are going to talk to her, Uh, singers, speakers, and fellow voice teachers from all different backgrounds seek her out um, about teaching, especially transgender voices. Uh, In 2014, she began working with transgender and non-binary individuals. Uh, She helped clients develop voice and communication patterns that align and affirm with their identity. Big plus. She also works with trans and non-binary singers supporting a sustainable, healthy singing voice technique during medical transition or not and beyond. Uh, This is a field that I'm completely fascinated with. Um, She also teaches voice teachers who are eager to support their transgender non-binary students through workshops, public speaking, training sessions and online courses. She's She's the author of One Weird Trick, A User's Guide to Transgender Voice and the co-author of The Singing Teacher's Guide to Transgender Voices. Please welcome to our podcast, uh, Liz Jackson-Hearns.
2: Woo!
0: Thank you so much for
3: having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: It's so wonderful to see you again and talk. Um, those who don't know, Liz Jackson and I go way back uh, to elementary school.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah. We actually, I remember the Halloween party at her house. That was. Uh... Oh my
3: gosh! <coughs> oh my gosh! Wow!
0: I still remember that, and going to the haunted theme rooms and stuff. So,
3: my parents worked so hard. My dad worked so hard for that. That's so hilarious! I can't believe you remember that. Wow! Wow. Yes, we've known each other for some
2: time. A hot minute. <laughs>
0: But it's great. It's great to see you. Um, You And uh, again, congratulations on the new baby. Thank you. And um, we, so let's just dive in and about teaching voice, transgender voices. Um, I know it's kind of a hot topic in the political spectrum, but um, we, I know for me, as you can tell, my voice is still cracking. Um, But uh, how do you go about, I mean, is it? that different i mean how do you go about teaching a transgender voice
3: yeah that's a good question is it that different um so i think our whole philosophy is really about normalizing gender diversity across our whole studio and across our whole experiences um because the onus of comporting oneself so that society treats us in uh, kind and decent ways lies with the trans person still and not with society where it belongs. Um, A lot of our work is about recognizing the sort of like the different ways that voice interacts with identity. We talk about voice for myself, voice for my art, if I'm a singer and voice for the world. So when I'm, when I'm by myself, what is voice that feels the most at home to me when I'm in my art? What is the voice that feels at most at home for me when I'm out in the world? What is the voice that, um, gives me tools to move fluidly in the world when i when I kind of move through and interact with different people. And those can be different skill sets. Um, so I think if it is different, it is only different insofar as we um, uh, recognize kind of like the different iterations of voice. And I think that's something that um, sometimes cis-passing folks take for granted that we, of course, we have voice when I'm by myself and voice when I'm out in the world. Customer service voice is a thing, um, right? Yes, it is. The, yes,
0: <laughs> um, well, yes difference... I'd be happy to help you find that. Oh, cool. yeah. Right,
3: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right this way, please. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, in your head, you're like, son of a bitch, motherfucker.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe that this came out of my mouth. Is that really <laughs>
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, for a trans person, though, I think that the stakes are higher, right? So um,
2: Man, yeah.
3: I have a, a co-facilitator who does the speaking gigs with me, and she talks about just this example in her life. She had a leak in her apartment, and in calling the, ha- the handy person, the plumber or whatever, um, the plumber misgendered her on the phone, and so now she's in a position where because of her voice, disembodied voice on the phone, the stakes are, am I going to get my apartment fixed? Um, mm-hmm. And so when we talk about voice for the world, the stakes can be really high. Um, and that's, I think, a part of a driver of the work that we do in making sure that people are feeling really safe um, in in the, the base, most basic sense of the word, um, having our most basic needs met. Um it, based on what we do with our voice. so I think that's one of the things that makes it different. It's just the stakes are just different.
0: Yeah. I remember on NPR once there was a a talk about girls or women with vocal fry and about how society like to view, I mean, this isn't transgender, but they like to look at society will hear a woman with vocal fry and automatically assume um, all these things about her brain capacity and about whether or not she's, really as smart as you think. like they even interviewed a woman who was from Princeton or Harvard, she had vocal fry. And she said that when she called um, inquiring about something they were like, well, can I speak to your mother? And she was like, I am 35 years old. I have a degree from Harvard. You know, I, no, you can speak you. <laughs> to me, <laughs> you know? So wow. this is, this is so cool. It's so fascinating.
3: Yeah, gender. I mean, gender runs through everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, one of the sort of like dichotomies of the work in terms of gender affirming work is that we our goal is to interrupt and deconstruct some of those like harmful gender stereotypes like you're talking about this, like very harmful, misogynistic, um, what is feminine enough Mm -hmm. um, kind of narrative, and then also to celebrate gender and to celebrate what it means to have gender euphoria and to feel really at home and feel really delighted by the way you exhibit and exist within your gender, especially around voice. That is a a wonderful experience and such a gift when you get to kind of finally have that for the first time and feel really at home for the first time in your own voice and feel really celebrated and and, uh, euphoric, I guess. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know if it's just this topic, but like that idea of not feeling safe by your voice, like I'm like holding, choking back tears because I'm like, holy cow, I just, I kind of can't imagine how horrible that's gotta be. And just like, I mean, I'm so excited that there are resources out there and people like you that are... Recognizing it, a, because recognition is so powerful, and then b, like, hey, we've got some tools that are really going to help you to go through this and to establish this euphoria that everyone should feel in their Mm -hmm. forties. oh
2: it's
3: so powerful. yeah and everyone for sure um bill and i were just talking about uh, a singer who is a countertenor and um because of of that because of the way he yeah. moved in his voice experienced some some pushback and gender policing around his own voice just because he was someone who identified as male and sings hi um yeah. so regardless of what our histories are it shows up for everyone um and so when we talk about normalizing gender diversity and, and gender expression i think that's that's a big piece of it it is is for everybody um as well Mm -hmm.
1: well I remember because I I studied at the University of Birmingham and I had they had this like robust um early vocal music ensemble and it was really cool because we got to sing I got to sing with a baroque orchestra and they had all these different voice types and I remember it was the first time because I mean I just had so little exposure in Montana it was the first time I would met a countertenor I thought it was the coolest thing (laughs) (laughs) but it did shock me and I felt bad that it shocked me to see a man (laughs) sing so beautifully high and I just I don't know and I was like maybe it's just I've never been exposed to it Montana's kind of isolated like I've read about it but it was a really cool experience to witness it and be like this is an amazing art like I don't know how there's not more of this or it's such a unique I don't know I just was blown away by that
3: that's such a great moment what a great moment of like abrupt disruption of your bias yeah. that's so cool
1: like, ah, shatter it we're in something
3: new <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> but i just oh it's
1: so and i i think i don't know if it's like i would love to see or i'm, I'm excited to see this like representation of it and of saying like you know women and men it doesn't really even be a contralto, to a tenor like it's it's normal and it's okay and it should be celebrated and I'm going on a tangent now. but
3: <laughs> No, but you're right. It should be celebrated. And when we talk about voice parts, I mean, voice parts are such a key piece of this entire conversation, especially... In classical worlds and academic worlds, because the difference between a contralto and a countertenor is a hormonal environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the the way someone arrived at that voice type. But the, the rep is the same. The ideal tone is super similar. So the only reason that we have two different names for the same voice type are based on hormonal environments and histories. And is that really necessary? And that's, I think, a, a huge piece of this conversation. And there's so much... Um, you know, I think especially with singers, the whole "fuck" conversation is, gets really pigeonholy, and, um, and and that uh, was
0: "fuck," not "fuck." Yes, okay. <laughs> I, just, I wanted to make sure I heard that right. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to like derail. I
3: mean, fuck but... the "fuck" system, you know. But like,
0: <laughs> all the vocalists are in there going, "Oh my God, Bill, it's really."
3: <clears throat> no, they're all like, "No, but you're right." <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, I mean, when I started uh, really getting into this work for myself and discovering voice for me as an artist, as a singer, moving from a a coloratura into tenor land was liberating, so liberating. Like, I can exist in both of these worlds. I can sing Juliet, and I can sing these, like, very sweet tenor, you know, art songs, and, like, it sounds okay, and it feels really good. And I think that's a huge piece of this conversation is, like really breaking these binaries and breaking all of these, you know, um, outwardly enforced barriers and categorizations of voices where they, where they limit our full expression. Um, and it hurts my heart, right? Like, oh, my <laughs> like, why do we have this? Let's, let's, it's, it's 2021. Like, come on, <laughs> let's just make <laughs> art, you know? Right. Well,
1: I love it.
2: <clears throat> so yeah, uh, what's
1: been your experience with voice or how, how did you come to know that you would want to be a singer or did you kind of experience any like own, like of your own weird moments as you went through and were trying to because I feel like I don't know at least for me personally like I thought I was an alto and then I discovered I have the range of a soprano and then I was like oh I can also sing tenor this is what's going on here um so what happened with I don't know your experience
3: yeah first just want to validate that that identity that that as singers we put so much of our identity into what we sing and our yeah. voice types and well, it can be really disorienting when what we yeah. thought we were is not what we thought we were but who am I? Am I all of these What's things?
1: My identity? It's, it's, it's so true because altos I mean like the soprano is always a certain role in the opera. The alto mm-hmm. is always the villain, I don't know, Well the mm-hmm. outcasts are always, like, these, like, ugh, characters, and so it's okay to have those characters, but it's, like, as you're stepping into, like, okay, what can I sing? You're, like, you're stepping into these identities, and you're, like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who am I
3: now? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, I've been a singer for a long time. Um, I remember <laughs> being on the playground at Washington Elementary School, uh, and... <laughs> sitting by the tree on the bathroom side of the building where the soccer field was, if you can remember that. Oh, (laughs) Um, yes. uh, And just like making up songs to myself and just like sitting and singing. Um, And I started piano before I moved to Idaho even. I started piano when I was like five, I think. Um, And then... Um, you know, did the, the choir thing through school in sixth grade. I think we got to choose whether we went into band or choir and I went into choir. I think Bill probably went into band. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. Did you play like a, a horn?
0: Yeah. First? I, I started on saxophone at first for band. Cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool. 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 And it was, uh, I'm pretty sure all the geese left Pocatello for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm sure you were brilliant <laughs> <laughs> after I gave it up. It's fine <laughs> <laughs> oh
3: my gosh um and then went to college i went to um what was Albertson College I think is now just College of Idaho in caldwell um right near boise and then um after that went to a recording arts school in phoenix um and then moved to Chicago and started teaching full-time, um, teaching voice and piano full-time, and then um, decided to go to grad school to get better at teaching um, and to kind of move my career in that direction. Um, so I we went to North Park for grad school, which is here in Chicago, and, um, and then um, started the Voice Lab not long after graduating. Um, so we've been, we've been open since 2014 and um, have been doing our work and growing <clears throat> really fast since then, which is very exciting.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, very, very cool.
0: Yeah. And I think huh. we took the same piano teacher, too.
3: We did, right? I feel like we had Jackie, Jackie Kano. Kano for like a hot minute, and then you were really good, and she was like, you need to study with this other professional person. Yeah, with, <laughs>
0: with Mark Nyworth, yeah. That's
3: right. And Mark Nyworth gave a concert of Rhapsody in Blue, I think, at Pokey High. I don't
0: Mm -hmm. know
2: if
3: you remember that. Yep. That That was a momentous occasion. I think a a big moment in my life as a musician for sure to see that.
0: It was very cool.
3: Mm -hmm. So,
0: yeah. uh, I mean, so how did you get into helping transgender voices?
3: Mm -hmm. Um, I love to tell this story. Uh, So back in 2014, I was teaching um, at a, um, like a mom and pop shop here, just doing like kids' pianos and voice lessons and stuff. And we had a, a student who came in who was an adult person who was taking violin lessons um, pre-transition and, and he started tea and then his joints got kind of stiff so he couldn't play the violin very well. And the person who was working the sales counter, who I'm now married to, uh, said, maybe you should try a voice lesson. I know this person who's kind of a science geek and really digs voice health and stuff. <laughs> 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 um maybe try a lesson with her. Um so Das and I started working together not long after he started medically transitioning. Das is um also a gender theorist and author and philosophy professor. Lucky me. So wow. awesome. um yeah, I... he literally sat me down and we had many conversations in Starbucks and he just looked me square in the face and said what is gender? I was like, I don't know.
0: <laughs> a social construct. <laughs> like, I don't know what gender is.
3: Um, so I Das really like literally held my hand through understanding what gender is, and I will always be grateful for that. Um, he wrote the foreword to the singing teacher's guide, um, and has been a friend and a mentor in my life for a, a long time. Um, what I learned from Doss was the that the need for gender affirming services. Um, was really high and that there weren't a lot of people doing it at the time mm-hmm. um, and then separately I had another client who was a referral from a speech pathologist friend who is a death metal singer and had some muscle tension stuff um, and during our work together um, Um, came out and started transitioning and so and again the universe was like hey we should probably do this (laughs) Um, (laughs) you sending it your way
0: right
3: Right? like not subtle (laughs) at all
0: (laughs) i'm gonna hit you with a brick if you don't take this
3: (laughs) 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 yeah yeah exactly exactly um so yeah so then kind of dove into the work um and then I had a um a trans client about a year later who was a singer and he said to me like when are you going to start a choir for me and I was like yo done like um yeah, so then Resonate yeah. which is uh, Chicago's trans choir was was born um wow. and we you know we're in pandemic times now so we just mostly talk on Facebook but um, um so yeah I think you know I mean like you know when you're calling just kind of smacks you in the face I think you have to kind of pay attention to it I think um and have had the deep pleasure and honor of getting to know so many um voice practitioners voice teachers speech pathologists who are also trans-identifying folks who are um very very much pioneering the work and pioneering peer-to-peer training um gender affirming work from gender diverse folks which is so so key to this whole conversation as well
1: that representation is so important and so empowering. Very cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, you know, as a composer, I I don't know the first thing about um, writing for a transgender voice. Like, so, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, we spend all our lives learning about the vocal ranges and, you know, this is the bass, tenor, baritone, whatever, soprano, alto, contralto. Um, and you'll rarely ever find someone who's a counter tenor or who's a you know has a low range in a female voice and um yeah. (laughs) yeah well my wife is too like she was always telling me that when she was in high school she felt more comfortable singing like the the lower tenor sections rather than the alto parts you know well, plus they're a little more fun, so yeah. <laughs> you know. Um... For me,
1: the break in my voice is in such an awkward. It's like right in the middle of the alto range, so I'm either like powering it in chest, or I'm like trying to pull my head voice down and muscle it out. And like... <laughs> so I always like tenor because I'm like, oh, I can just stick in my chest voice and have a good time. Or and then I always like alto because the harmony, like mm-hmm. yeah. Oh. yeah,
3: yeah. But but Bill, you bring up such a good it's point. Fun. Yeah, and I would um. I want to kind of uh bring attention to a couple of things so so one is this idea of like the transgender voice, and that 's one of those i think pieces of language that we 're trying to kind of interrupt a little bit because okay. i mean what if, if, what even is that right so it's right. Um, I mean a transgender identity is a piece of identity a voice is a is a voice and and we talk about whole people right and and um, when I do like talk about terminology and stuff like that I think we are necessarily kind of diluting an entire people into one sliver of, of who they are and how they move in the world so every time we talk about language I think we have to talk about like why do we use that language like where did it come from and the constantly evolving language around gender is is really just trying to pin down what it actually is because the language didn't come from the people whose lived experience the language is attempting <clears throat> to describe, right? Yeah. So so a transgender voice like isn't a thing. Um, a, a voice of someone who identifies as transgender is a thing. Um, yeah. So, and these voice parts... Voice parts come from this, like, you know, kind of uh, misogynistic, patriarchal sort of like ways of identifying and categorizing voices um, Mm -hmm. in order to, like, A, you know, make our brains do less work because brains like to categorize things um, and also to kind of make it easier to compose for um people who have testosterone hormonal environments and histories and now we are assigning those voice parts to people who have estrogen hormonal environments and histories and it gets really messy um so the 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 vast ability and spectrum of a single voice can sometimes get put into a box that that may or may not be comfortable um long term or even in, within a piece so when we talk about writing for voices um i think I think you can do what you already do, and that's so much of this of this piece too. What I say to teachers all the time is like, you already know what to do. The techniques are the same um, when you when you guide someone through um, a voice change, a hormonal voice change, whether the hormones are produced in the body or come from an outside source. It's it's the same basic process. Um, there are some differences. Someone who is undergoing testosterone HRT who has already been through estrogen puberty, like the changes in the larynx are a little bit different. They're not as as dramatic as someone whose body produces testosterone um but the the ways you would navigate voice change the ways you bring about registration um balance are the same um the voice ranges might be kind of similar one of my like dream projects is to create the non-binary songbook um and i i don't know what that means yet um that'd be so cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah if i ever you know decide to go back To school again or maybe get myself a grant or something but i think i think that's one of the missing pieces of this conversation too is this is the non-binary representation and like what does it mean to have a non-binary voice you know um what does it mean to be a non-binary artist within the confines and within the the rules of classical music um and how do we really intentionally break those rules and create brand new art and brand new possibilities um, and as a composer, Bill, what a beautiful opportunity to play. You oh, get to just my. play. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, that was one of the things. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Hilary. What were you saying? I'm
1: going to steal this from you, Bill. This might be my next
0: <laughs> Well, and that was one of the things I was thinking about, you know, because I've had people, like I've worked on vocal pieces before and they're like, okay, well, this is what we have. We have a soprano or we have a tenor player or singer, or we have, you know, you have a bass or maybe even an alto you know, and, you know, this is their range or this is my specific range and things. And they asked me, like, so what are you going to write? And I was just like, I'm just going to write a vocal part. And, like, I don't care who sings it. More mm-hmm. important to me is that someone's going to enjoy it and sing it. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they're a bass, baritone, or or a soprano with, you know, high range that can do, you know, the the night Queen of the Night aria or whatever, you know um but it's just all i want is someone to be able to sing my music so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i know i would definitely be down to help with whatever you wanted to do with the book <laughs>
2: oh yeah <laughs>
3: very cool <Thank> you. <laughs> Yeah. And I even think about that stuff. I mean, like, the, the Queen of the Night and those those Mozart arias for the Color to the Soprano were not written for soprano. They were written for one singer. Right. They were written for a person. And now we all try to sing it as well as she could. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and who knows? But I think I think you really bring up a good point. Like, I don't think even, you know, the whole concept of music theory is, is not to to make rules right it's to observe patterns um and so as we observe the pattern of the entire human voice um we get to kind of make new choices that allow us to move out of these binaries and out of the sort of um constructs that that have maybe served us somewhat uh some of us somewhat up to this point and that's such an amazing opportunity to make totally new art and i think that's so cool um and one of the best things about new music is that it's it's brand new and it's personal and in a way that we haven't had before in a long time.
0: Yeah, that was one of my questions is like, what as a composer can we do to, for transgender voice or for voice, you know, in this new realm? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm so used to labeling it that way. You know, I don't know what to do. So um, what can a composer do to really help with this process and uh, to help facilitate it?
3: Yeah. Um, To offer you language for that, I think you could just say trans singers. Trans singers. Okay. Yeah. Singers who identify as trans for sure. Um, I would start with trans composers. Um, LJ White is a a prominent trans composer in Chicago. Marie Isabel is also doing some really great work. Juanita Marchand-Knight is doing really awesome work. I have a list if you want me to send you the list.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Before I just spelt them off and you try to write them all down. Um, but there are some some really incredible trans composers who are already doing work for voice now um, and doing it across genre. LJ has a special place in my heart as a former student, as a former singing student, and also a really amazing composer. And um, I think one of the coolest things for him was to be able to sing his own works finally Mm -hmm. um and that was that was really cool and and like amazing to get to work together i think um and personally just really cool to be with a composer who's doing their own work and to talk about artistic interpretation and to point out the the ways that he wrote really brilliantly and that he can express his own brilliance with his own voice is just mind-blowing and super cool Um, so check out lj for sure he's my (laughs) fave he's amazing
1: well that's such a unique combination or at least from the representation i've had um of composers that are most composers are pianists Mm -hmm. and so i studied composition and voice was my my primary instrument and my voice teacher said to me about like somewhere in the first semester he says this is where he's like you're on a career path you know he's like you're in an academic path that's probably going to die in a year he's like i've never had a composer that studies boys make it through year one and i was like oh okay and i mean he said we were great friends and so he said he was like i would love to see you defy that and he said that is this empowering moment but he was like i gotta be real with you i've never seen anyone make it through this mm-hmm. and I made it, (laughs) but it was, it was really fun because he was able to work with me. And by year four, I was writing for myself Yeah, was challenging me to only be a, to be the performer and not the composer. And it was really fun, but I love to see that. I'm like, that's so cool that there's someone else is doing that and they're getting this beautiful opportunity to represent voices that identify as transgender. And uh, that's just really, really cool and rare for a composer.
3: Yeah, it's very cool. Really super pioneering people doing really amazing work. For sure. I just got chills while you told that story, Hillary, too. Like, yes, go, yes, <laughs> do it. You can do it. Yeah, amazing. And
0: I'm sure
1: five others have been since then. But
3: But you started it. That's so it was, cool. It was cool to, to make it through. Yeah, you blazed the trail. That's so cool.
0: So, like, mechanically, sorry, this is just my, how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are instructing a, a, a trans singer, do you have to then, like, do you correlate it with other vocal vocal ranges, or do you just help them realize where their voice sits within their own body? Oh.
3: Both. Um. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, So I think one of the ways that my teaching has really shifted um, is to really embrace a sort of constructivist relationship with students where... um, a lot of singers who have been through academic learning environments have experienced the sort of teacher knows best kind of Mm -hmm. philosophy and being told like, this is your voice type. This is the rep that you sing. This is what you should sound like. Um, and so in kind of flipping that on its head, what do you wanna sing? What kind of rep do you wanna do? What are the characters that you wanna play that you really identify with? Okay, great. Here are the vocal demands of that character. This is how I think we could get there. What the challenges I think will be and where I think you'll do really well. Wanna go on this journey together? Okay, great, let's go. Um, So that can look like a lot of different things. That can look like um, maneuvering in um, familiar voice territory. So, someone who, uh, like a trans woman who wants to sing low, like Lucia Lucas is a, a trans woman who's a super famous baritone, and she's also making waves and doing awesome things. Um, and um, and it can look like a trans woman who's sung tenor for a long time and wants to kind of experiment in mezzo land and see see what that's like in sort of a different a different mechanism, a different registration, a different sort of set of coordinations. Um, and So there are some techniques around that. But I keep coming back to, like, it's the same, right? It's You have the techniques for that. You have the techniques to guide someone to do something new with their voice. Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly, like, um, someone who uh, was assigned... um, Let me see. Let me rephrase that. Someone whose vocal history has led them to sing high-voice parts um, and they want to start singing something low-voice. That's something that we do all Mm -hmm. the time. Um, And I, I would even say these experimentations and ways of maneuvering in voice don't have to be limited to gender. Um, they don't have to be limited to gender diverse experiences. I think it is incredibly liberating, liberating for a cis woman to be allowed, to be encouraged to sing low um, and to kind of explore what it's like to feel voice in the body for the first time, if they've been socialized to feel voice in the in the head only um, and vice versa for someone who's, whose voice has been low for a long time to have finally, agency and autonomy to make totally new sounds. Um, And I I love working with voice teachers because they're so quick to make changes. And the light bulb's just like, oh, I can totally apply this to everything else that I do. If only someone had given me a space to make this new sound and to explore my voice in this new way, I could have been singing differently this whole time. Um, So I I think this whole conversation, it's it's just got to be pervasive everywhere, in every way that we teach, everyone that we teach. Um, If we can create gender affirming spaces for everyone um then everybody just has a better experience so technically mechanically um it's stuff that we already do um our job is to not make any assumptions so if if a student comes to us or comes out to us and oftentimes this happens because singing voice is such a deeply personal thing and the relationships that we have between singers and teachers is is really intimate Um, and so we have to really honor that power dynamic and really Foster an environment of agency, um, but if a student comes out to us as a teacher, um, it may be quick to assume that they want to do something different. But we have to kind of pause there and like, okay, what does that mean for your singing life? Do you want to do anything different? No, cool, let's keep rocking. Um, and then we talk about where that shows up elsewhere. Do you want? Is there some other piece of transition that you're interested in? And no, no piece of transition is required, of course, um, for someone to to for us to validate someone's trans identity um but um but we yeah but we can't make any assumptions about what they want um and then at the same time understanding that we have the tools and we have the ways to guide someone through the mechanics and techniques of doing something different if that's what they want Mm
1: -hmm. wow what you said about the that intimate relationship i mean because it's so at least with my own experience with voice um I want to say it was like year two of my undergrad, and I had some like personal things that happened in my life, and suddenly, like, I was like choked up and I just couldn't sing. And I remember my voice teacher, like, grabbing Bless Creighton James's heart, he grabs a box of tissues and he goes, Spill it. And I was like, <laughs> Spill it. First time I had someone be like, You've got to work through all this shit going on in your life, otherwise, you're not going to be able to sing again. And I was like, what like I should just be able to sing he's like you gotta learn how to emote I mean it's such a like personal experience I mean every performance is like you're tapping into your own emotions you're pulling from your own story you're creating this character and I just like I thought it was like oh my and it's so exposed because you can't hide behind anything you're Mm -hmm. physically exposed singing to the world um so that's such a cool I love how you approach that with your students of like okay like this is happening we're going to pause we're going to talk about it you know we're going to help you navigate the path forward that you want to navigate forward and i'm not going to assume anything mm-hmm. and that's so empowering that's really cool <laughs>
3: yeah yeah um one of the phrases that i think can be helpful in a lesson studio to continue to cultivate that environment is what would it be like to and i talk about this all the time when i when i talk with teachers is what would it be like to so in in singing lessons at least in my experience um i was given directives right look in the mirror take a deep breath relax your shoulders open your mouth um the reframe for that is what would it be like to look in the mirror what would it be like to take a deep breath what would it be like to loose your jaw what would it be like to stick your tongue out while you sing um and right and the shift in that is is profound right what would it be like i I never thought about it, right? <laughs> yeah, so in, in so doing, we allow our students to kind of take stock and like, okay, I think that could be helpful. Let's give it a try. And then you kind of create this this communication precedent that if you get to it and you start singing in front of the mirror and it feels really uncomfortable, you can say, you know what? This is not what I thought it was going to be like. I need to stop. Um, and then we kind of, we can reroute and we can say, okay, this was the objective I was going for as your teacher, what else do you think we could do to try to get there? Um, and then that's that co-creative, constructivist kind of learning environment that we're going toward the same goal together. Let's see how we can get there together in a way that helps you feel that you are empowered in your own body and your own artistic experience. Um, the other thought that I want to say about that is um, I feel very strongly that sometimes teachers shy away from feelings in lessons Mm, and it (laughs) kind of irks me sometimes.
1: (laughs) Like, all right, what's going on? Yeah.
3: What, what would it be like to be in a lesson space to require someone to squeeze the art out of their soul and not feel anything about it in the moment? Like, I think a huge part of our job as voice teachers is to be stewards of feeling artists voice is so personal and it is so emotional um and if we disallow emotional expression and emotional discomfort in the lesson space what are we shutting off what are we shutting off with the art and the someone in the room so i really feel strongly about this giving autonomy and agency and also like it's okay to have feelings and it's okay to to get choked up right it's okay to have that you don't have to work through it right it's not you don't have to let muscle through it, right? Like let's open that up and have some feelings about it because art is emotion. Um and it doesn't seem logical to me to to try to shut off emotion while you make art. Um so that's that's my soapbox.
1: Well <laughs> no, I'm like, oh I was eating that up. I'm like, oh yes, because like at least for me, like I used to shut my emotions down and like it all just kind of came to that pinnacle where like my teacher sat me down and was like, You have to start feeling or you're not gonna progress and I'm like ah what do you mean i gotta start feeling but it was so nice to have somebody just tell me that instead of like shove your feelings down kid Maybe it's just the western montanan in me that's like buckle up like don't
2: worry about it
1: I'm like okay so and then it became so empowering because of like oh i know sadness okay i'm gonna remember i'm gonna think of this memory to guide me through this passage and Okay, now I'm coming through this change. Okay, I remember this time in my life when I mean, you just they become such these powerful, powerful tools for you mm-hmm. as a vocalist. I'm just really excited. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. just, like, I'm excited that that's your brain, that's what you do, and, and you're really passionate about that. It's so powerful.
3: I'm very, very passionate about it. <laughs> Sometimes I get a little ranty about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: um uh, so maybe um you know one of the things that i've been really interested in lately is you we touched on a little bit with um Lucia lucas and uh these opera singers and opera companies so what is something that i mean not something but how do i want to phrase this when um there's been a lot of pushback it feels like and Classical music is, you know, horrendously slow in its uh, desegregation or in we like to tout ourselves as being all inclusive and open to everybody when we're actually one of the most exclusive things in the world. Um, So what can we do? What is something that um, can help? push this kind of acceptance and inclusion of the trans voice into opera companies or even into opera?
3: That's a big question, Bill. Um, That's what I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see that now. I asked the big questions. (laughs) The big questions. What can we do? When you say we, help me understand what we means.
0: Okay. Um, So uh, there, there's a big thing of status quo when it comes to classical music and even as a composer who gets in and they have performances um, for those who have sort of made a continuous contact with opera companies, is there something that they could then do that opens the door a little wider for other people?
3: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're saying, how can I leverage my privilege?
0: yeah pretty much yeah
3: how can i leverage my connections my my establishment my networks within the industry to pave the way for other folks as well um big question bill (laughs) um i think one of the biggest ways is to i mean you know the word education for sure i think kind of runs in the middle of it um familiarize ourselves with trans composers with trans artists singers there are so many um and I think you know there's the simultaneous shift within the status quo and there's also the sort of like the underground burn it all down and start over um, <laughs> revolution that's happening right <laughs> so um personally I feel a sense of responsibility to do both um and I think part of, part of how to do that is to create collaborations, um, to find yourself in a position where you know you're going to have a platform, where you know you're going to be talking to people, um, and make sure that you're not the only one talking, um, if that makes sense. A question that I often ask myself is, um, um, who listens when I talk? Who talks over me when I don't? Mm. And whose voice does mine silence? And so kind of for me, like using those as guiding principles has been a place to start. Um, And that's all just a place to start, Um, I think. I think we learn all the time uh, and we learn the things that we take for granted all the time um and that's a huge part of this process as well so creating collaborations i think is a great way to start familiarizing ourselves with both the status quo and the underground piece i mean new music i think especially has this opportunity to do that um because it exists in both worlds um, new classical music especially exists intentionally in both worlds mm-hmm. um and what a great opportunity to kind of advance the entire industry forward in that way. <clears throat> Chicago, especially, is is known for its devised theater, is known for its underground opera. It's tiny, tiny opera companies all over the city. Um, so I feel lucky because I get to see that all the time. Um, and that's something that I take for granted. Um, and so sometimes when I get into these environments where the, where the balance between the status quo and the underground leans more toward the status quo, I get a little like surprised (laughs) um and that's work for me to do to not be surprised anymore um so i think i think that's just a place to place to place to start i don't know if that helps or answers your question but
0: yeah no i think you're i like the idea of um like you you know we want to burn it all down and start from scratch again um but then at the same time still get into the thick of it and change it from within um Mm -hmm. you know and uh it's it's it seems perplexing to me of what we can do, um, you know. If, if we can be more proponents to, um, you know. Yeah, working with that singer would be nice, but there's this other singer who I think would be really good for this too. You know, I don't know. Like, I of course I've never had an opera staged or anything, but uh, uh, I don't know how much play or how much power the composer has when it comes to those kinds of things but um you know just it's a it's it's a big question (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh you know I, i think a lot of it is just like there's so much to do like breaking um gender norms and you know, when you had a, a, a trans voice singing Don Giovanni and mm-hmm. the world was like, ah, how can yeah. that happen? You know, this, Don Giovanni is just a big military guy, you know? Yeah, when, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, well, why? You know, uh, challenging the status quo oh, and yeah. poking yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, you know, like um, a countertenor sounds just as good singing the Queen of Night. It is, you know the biggest Oof. best collatura, you know so sure
3: um yeah yeah um shoot i had a thought let me see if i can get it back yes so i think what you're just pointing out too is this idea of labor um and like who who does the labor to make sure that the people who need to be on that stage are there um and who does the labor to to start breaking down those barriers um so like gender one on one conversations, like that's awesome labor for me to do with cis people, um, and to like let's talk about what gender is um because my emotional stakes in that conversation are relatively low if that makes sense um
2: mm-hmm.
3: so when we are creating these collaborations and if if who the casting director or whatever isn't familiar with this person like that's that's a thing for us to do is to do the labor of like this is how amazing this person is here's their resume here's a recording of them i really love them and to strongly advocate um to go beyond maybe just making a recommendation but to like really get on your soapbox about it um and 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 sell it right, um and to say like this is an opportunity for you to do something different. I really strongly think you should try this. Well, I um,
1: like the idea of person first. Like th- this person would be great, not this identity is what. You right, need right, first. right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you like, that, like that line, that very thin line of like, hey, this person's awesome. Work with them,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then build something around that if you need to.
0: But
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah wow yeah i i don't know this
1: has been so cool <laughs>
0: yeah it definitely has given me a lot to think about you know just um you know i what's, what can um maybe hillary or i or what we can do to help you and uh the the trans voice community
3: um. Keep having conversations like this. I'm going to send you a list of composers. I would strongly <laughs> encourage you to interview one of those composers. <laughs>
0: Gladly, happily, <laughs> and the artists.
3: Oh, <laughs> Can't wait. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll send you a list of artists as well. Okay. Oh, um, um. You know, I I really think a lot of social justice work begins internally. Um. And I my my hope. What do I always say? The analogy that I like to use is that we all walk our own paths um, and it is sometimes dark and we don't always know where we're going. And so my genuine hope is that any interactions that we have um, help to just kind of make your lantern a little bit brighter so that you have a little bit more kind of clue about what's coming up. Um, And then you can see where you came from. So even hopefully after this conversation now, there's, there's some new light around gender and what gender is and what your assumptions are and what your biases are. And that's, that's where it starts, is, is how you interact with the world around you. Um, and then that becomes part of how you work and how you kind of move into your work and how you move into your work differently um, and work with people differently. So I think, I think really, it, you know, always with this kind of work, it starts internally first.
1: Oh, that's such a beautiful analogy with the lantern because mm-hmm. i think one of the, the things at least i know i've struggled with previously is it sucks to learn that you've been an ass all along yeah. sucks to learn i mean like not necessarily that you're going out of your way to be an ass but just this idea that like man i've been doing that wrong or i maybe didn't i didn't say the thing i should have said or i it's it's hard to learn that but it's such a really cool thing like you said it does make the world brighter to just swallow your ego for that moment and like, the next time I have that interaction, I'm going to do it better. Mm -hmm. Or the next time I encounter that, I now have a little more light on the subject. That's that's a really powerful analogy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, you know, as a, as a white male, you know, um, I, I always want to be a stronger ally, you know, and be there for as many people as possible, you know? And so just anything I can do or learn from I think it's just amazing and definitely learning from people who are in the, the thicket, you know, as you, or, um, you know, maybe uh, singers who are, who are trans voice or, uh, or people who are even, you know, you know, by, by color people of color or whatever. And they're just trying to make headway and, you know, in whatever way I can use my position as leverage, I'd be happy.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Mhm. Very cool. Ditto. <laughs>
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I, I maybe what we'll do is we'll just do like our little, little farewell thing, and then we'll stop recording, and then we can just say farewell after that. Sound sound good?
3: That sounds great. I Perfect. so appreciate. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It is so wonderful <laughs> to see
0: you again. Well, thank you for being here. It's so good to see you, and I, I it's been mind opening to me to talk to you about this and to discuss trans voice and um and what we can do to be better allies so thank you so much
1: mm-hmm. Liz it was so wonderful to meet you and you gave me so many wonderful things to think about I'm really excited to dive through the list that you're going to send us and yes we'll there and share with the world so thanks so much for taking the time to to educate us um one little light at a
2: time so <laughs>
3: One little light at a time. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Hilary. So good to meet you as well. Thank you both for having me here. Thanks for
1: listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website.
0: You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more.
2: If
1: you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at Sounds of the World Podcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now.
0: Hey, there you go.